ready for a new episode of KP Talks Dollars and Cents. Learn financial literacy and get real-time updates on all things housing, finance, and real estate with your host, Kevin Perenio. As an owner and C-level executive for 20-plus years in finance, KP is here to serve you with all of his knowledge and experience. Whether you're a broker, realtor, or just interested in the economy, this is the podcast for you. So let's get started. Here's your host, Kevin Perenio. Hey, it's KP coming to you live from Newport Beach. We are in the harbor. And it is it's about 1 p.m. on a Friday. I figured after being on the road uh, for a week and sacrificing family time and a 20-hour workday in my office Thursday night, those that follow me on social, uh, it's time to go have lunch with a colleague. Here's an employee spotlight, Alex Ludkus. His cousin Dennis is in here. He's hanging out. Uh, Alex runs one of our largest, uh, actually our, our largest retail branch. Um, it's an internal branch. It's our employee loan division, friends of family type deal. We call it AFS. Um, it's been our company a long time. Used to be a wholesale AE at First Franklin out here in Southern California. Good dude. Awesome guy. Get a chance to cut some content, have lunch with him. Um, I brought him Chipotle. I apologize. I know it's a little cheap on me. Um, but uh, lots to talk about. Recap from the NBA National Convention. We have GDP news out. All kinds of economic data. But calm winds never made a skilled sailor. So we are... I actually, I actually told him to hold off on putting the sail up. So let me give some scenery, set some background, because I know you want to hear me rambling for 10 minutes. It's actually not as hot as I thought it was going to be, so I'm going to go shirtless here soon. Uh, this is the castaways back here. This is uh, this is all right here on the intercoastal, and then back under that bridge is PCH at the back, uh, the back bay. And there's a neighborhood back there, back behind the nice houses on the cliffs, a little older neighborhood. That's where I live, actually. And uh, here's where the people who live on the water with uh, a whole lot of money. And it's gorgeous. This is all part of Newport Beach Peninsula right over here. You got you got Violito for those that have eaten on Nobu and any of the other uh, restaurants there on uh, Violito, the Lido House Hotel. And this is all Newport Beach Peninsula all right here. And I don't know how much we'll get into it. Um, and for those that no, Pimco, who's in the news lately, possibly buying the uh, fixed income assets together with Apollo Management of uh, Credit Suisse. Uh, that is Pimco headquarters, founded by Bill Gross, who lives out here in uh, Big Canyon. Um, awesome dude. I met him one time. My kind of guy. He plays his music so loud that his neighbor complains and calls the cops. He doesn't care. You know? Hey, love it. Uh, and then uh, Mohamed El Arian, um, who was chief economist for Allianz and president of Queens College, has a house in Corona del Mar, which is back here, but also splits time with UK. Okay, enough of all that. You got the scenery. Um, GDP for Q3 was positive. It was positive. Now, um, it was a little more positive. It was 2.6% versus 2.3 expectation. Now, it's very interesting. We had two negative GDP quarters in a row, and this is the first read of three reads for Q3 GDP. And it was positive. So it might come down, it might not. But, you know, everyone's like looking at these numbers and making excuses for why they're negative and why they're positive. And when they were negative for two quarters, which used to be technically a recession, we're saying, well, it's because of 
the trade imbalance and the supply chain constraints. Well, now we have a strong dollar and a good trade deficit, which created a positive GDP for this quarter. And everyone's poo-pooing that. So it's like, it's negative when it's positive, it's positive when it's negative. So I guess at the end of the day, we're not in a recession yet, it all evens out. Everyone says the recession is next year. But we won't know until a year from now when the economic board actually says, 12 months later, whether we were in a recession or not. Got it? Good, because it's clear as mud to me too. Consumer spending was up in the quarter, which remember is 70% of our economy, but it was under 1%. So it wasn't great. Consumer sentiment just came out this week. Not great, uh, but jobs still strong. Jobless claims not rising, continuing claims rising a little bit, um, which means people who are um, going on the dole uh, looking for um, assistance, they are not finding their jobs as fast or maybe not, not looking, I don't know. Um, but continuing claims are staying elevated, although new jobless claims are not rising. The Fed wants to break that down and break that wage price inflation spiral. That's the big one that they have not tackled yet. But they definitely broke housing. They broke housing. Housing is in a full-blown recession. I think everyone has said it. Um, I didn't attend a lot of meetings when I was at the Mortgage Banker Association because um, I do attend a lot of meetings um, throughout the year and different calls and stuff. Um, I'm more into like the networking and seeing what's going on. Um, my great partner, Gary Malice, he does high-level meetings on the cap markets and investor relations side. I do more uh, vendor stuff and some of our key relationships um, on the... Uh, on the investor cap markets uh, side, but that's mostly Gary. So we divide and conquer. And uh, so I didn't have to hear all the negative shit. I just had people, you know, going to nice dinners and having good events and having some booze and saying, it's gonna be better, it's gonna be better next year. It's gonna be better next year. And I think everyone's saying that. So what cracks are happening to make us think it's gonna be better next year? I've got one of my subscription services that they think the stock market has bottom. They have reached the bottom and it's not gonna go any lower. They think there will be some more bottoming potentially in some uh, companies. Uh, so just like in our business, some companies do better than others. Some are shutting down channels. Um, there's a leadership change. So, you know, since the crash growth uh, of 08, growth stocks in the stock market, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not responsible for your losses, only your profits. Uh, don't take my word for anything. Anyway, the leadership has been growth stocks since 08. <clears throat> you know, Facebook, Apple, which Facebook's now meta, Google, uh, which is now Alphabet, Microsoft, Netflix, uh, Amazon. So all these stocks have been the leaders, but some are doing better than others. And what's happening is people like uh, companies like Caterpillar, um, which are a safety industrial play, um, are in increasing off their bottom, which was in late September. And so maybe some of these old Dow components, the old guard are gonna regain leadership here. Maybe not forever, but maybe for a while, <clears throat> um, you know, it's hard to hard to bet against Amazon and Apple long term. They're, they're both pretty amazing. Um, but, you know, if the Nasdaq and the S&P 500 continue to come down a little bit, maybe the Dow goes up. Energy's going up. You know, all the ESG policies that have been coming out have really crushed energy stocks for the last couple of years and brought them down to 2% of the Dow component. Well, now, you know, they're up to 6%. You see all the stuff going on with us draining our strategic petroleum reserve, which by the way, draining our our reserve is partly contributing to our positive GDP for the quarter. And I haven't heard anybody say that except for Louis, uh, Louis Navalier and Platinum Growth Club. Um, so now that that's drained and after the election, which midterms are coming, which consensus wisdom says that the House will be taken by Republicans, the Senate's too close to call, it's up for grabs. 
either way, that would be gridlock in DC, which is good for business, is good for business environment, which might be why you've seen uh, the yields come down on the 10 year below 10, below 4%, and you're starting to see maybe some more risk on in some of the defensive stocks like a Caterpillar. Because maybe it's now, okay, growth has peaked. We're seeing that now with earnings. We're gonna watch that with the growth stocks. Institutional money got what they're getting. They see the 4% yields um, on treasuries. And now they're thinking about maybe going to more defensive stocks like energy, like Caterpillars, like a Coca-Cola, um, you know, all these companies. So you'll start to see that happening. You will see leadership change as well in the mortgage industry. Those who are top dogs last coming, some of them, some of them folded up, folded up the tent. So uh, <clears throat> hedge funds made their money. They said, we're out. So we're not a hedge fund. We're good people here, obviously, just trying to have uh, a decent life, work hard, play hard. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about mortgage. Two big bombshells that came out, the Mortgage Banker Association. The credit scoring is changing, and that was announced um, by FHFA Director uh, uh, Dr. Sandra Thompson. So we usually do a tri-merge credit report for loans that are funded. That's three bureaus, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. Now you only need two. But with the three that we had before, we were using what was called um, a FICO score. It's a scoring model. And now that's changing to have trended data. So it's a FICO 10T report with trended data that takes a little further look back, 24 to 30 months. May help serve some of the underserved, be more inclusive of borrowers, which is the mission of the FHFA, which is everybody's mission, especially if you're an independent mortgage banker in all the tough neighborhoods doing the loans and low FICOs, by the way. So now, in addition to pulling only two reports on each of those two reports, you have a 10T FICO Trinidad data report and a Vantage score report and their 4.0 algorithm. That will change the game two years to implement. In the meantime, all the credit vendors are talking about this tiered pricing system that's coming out, tier one, two, and three. Well, what makes a one? FICO's telling people what to charge people now, and they're only counting funded credit reports. It's gonna be a lot more to come on that, trust me. A lot of people are upset. LOPAs went down on people 100% AMI and under and up on cash out. Have a great weekend, happy Halloween. We'll get, next to, get back to you next week. Cheers. Hey, it's KP coming to you live from Corona, California. Well, we got a rare daytime taping for me. You can see this is an actual background uh, in Corona, California, and it's Halloween. Happy Halloween. It's 4.30. I have four children. They're probably at home getting dressed and waiting for dad, as usual, and rarely on a Monday night I'll actually see them. So hope everyone's having a spectacular end to the month. Two more months left, and this year is over. It's hard to believe, and things do slow down. November is traditionally a very slow month in housing. Uh, December's actually not bad, especially uh, in uh, in some of the warmer states like Florida. People want to get that homestead tax exemption, so they're starting to look to make sure they buy. But seasonally, it is a very slow part of the year. And then January and February, short, cold, crappy months, and it is typically not the best months of the year. Again, in a normal seasonal purchase money-driven market, which is what we're in. So let's talk about housing, some data that came out. I'm going to talk about the huge news that's coming out later this week. The next two days is the Fed Open Market Committee meeting. That's the Federal Reserve meeting. They are likely to raise rates. We'll talk about the Fed. We'll talk about the jobs report coming out. Before I do that, there are a couple things I wanted to recap about the Mortgage Banker Association meeting last week. Um, now, 
One of my places where I get information is I go up to mba.org and you can go to news and research. So MBA, Mortgage Banker Association, mba.org, and they have great press releases and all kinds of cool stuff that you can read about. And I sometimes browse through there right before I do these videos. Well, I browse through today and my good friend, Eddie Perez, he is the leader over there at Equity Prime Mortgage. He won, let me get this right, the Schumacher Boldick Award. So if you look it up, you can see the details. Um, I briefly saw him in Nashville last week as I was whizzing down uh, DeMond Brand on a scooter and he was on the curb. I waved high as I was going from meeting to meeting. Um, Eddie's a great dude. I think one day he'll be uh, the chairperson of the Mortgage Banker Association if I were uh, to bet odds within the next couple of years. But he helped uh, lead the MORPAC, which is, um, which is basically a political action committee to help raise money. And he and his team, while he was at the head, helped raise a record $2.6 trillion in the 19 and 2020 years alone in 2020, $1.6 million, which uh, I believe it was two years ago, or maybe it was three years ago in Austin, he hit me up. Strong army. So congrats, Eddie. Well-deserved. And then the MBA Open Doors Foundation, which is a fantastic 501c3 that helps out in multiple different ways, giving grants uh, for children or families out of work or helping uh, provide uh, growth and engagement for the Open Doors community. And then, of course, um, there's uh, awards given for uh, actually opening more doors and generating more money. So three distinguished awards went out. The Community Champions Award to uh, Rick Thornberry, the CEO of Radian, which, of course, he represents the entire company of Radian. My great friends, Angela Capone and Randy Gazinski. When I was in South Florida for 13 years, we just were uh, tight as can be, still get together with them at a couple conferences. So congrats to all the people at Radian. Well-deserved. I saw that uh, Leonard and Mary Ryan, the founders of QuestSoft, won the Founders Award, and the Spirit Award went to NMI, National Mortgage Insurance. So my good friend Tony Scoma and Dominic Lavoie and all the good people at NMI, well-deserved for all the awards. All right, let's talk Case Schiller. What is going on with the Home Price Index? That data came out last week, and it was for the month of August. Now remember, the $715,000 conventional conforming loan amount that people went out and said, including us, which we said, hey, we're going to take locks for that because that's where it's going next year. Well, it ain't going there next year. So if we took in locks at 715000 the Case-Shiller Home Price Index, which is very scientific, um, they have one more reading that comes out at the end of November, November 29th, for September data. And you've got 12 sets of data to come up with the average. And that is what they base the conforming loan amount for next year for all of our Fannie and Freddie loans. So the last read that came out um, just a couple uh, last week brought that average loan amount down with the data to $709,500. So anyone that locked a loan in at $715,000, we got a problem. So we'll work it out, it's all good. But likelihood this next reading will also come down. So how much further will that number, that average come down for the conforming loan amount? We already moved ours back a couple weeks. We caught one to this trend uh, lowering, uh, which obviously caught everybody off guard. And, um, you know, we were super proud about being one of the first lenders uh, to roll it out, like within 48 hours or less and having everything programmed, not just announcing that we're going to do it. And then now we got to walk it back, as does everybody, because it ain't going to happen because housing is in a recession. So uh, we'll watch that data and see what comes out a little bit later. All right. The Fed meeting. The Fed meeting, it is widely accepted that they're going to have a 75 basis point rate hike that they're going to announce um, officially on Wednesday. And then you get into the Q&A session 
of, the, of Jerome Powell at the end of the Wednesday part of the meeting. So they are looking at inflation. That is the big thing they're trying to tame right now. Now, you, we all talked about the personal consumption expenditure, which talks about consumption. It's, it's more of an immediate reading than CPI or PPI. So if consumers are consuming, economy is growing. If they're slowing down their consumption, then that is a deflatory, deflationary effect. Remember my balloon analogy that the growth in the economy would be deflating and shrinking or growing at a slower pace. So the PCE um, is still elevated, but not going up um, as fast as it once was. So the Fed will talk about the data dependency. Remember, they were saying they are now data dependent which will determine what they are going to communicate their next move at the December meeting. And then of course their January meeting and all the meetings going to next year. What are they going to do? I think the big thing that will move the markets at this point is <clears throat> if in the dot plot, they um, raise their expected um, end point. So right now they're at about 4.75 um, on the overall fed funds rate. That's where they'll end up. Will they end up? Higher? Will they end up at five or higher? Do they think they need to tame inflation that much? If inflation is starting to roll over on some of these data points, not just slowing growth and staying high and sticky, but actually coming down, then you might hear some language that comes out that's very bullish for the stock market for sure, and also very bullish for them to say, okay, inflation is whipped. All right, they're not going to keep raising rates. Now the question is remember, three phases of uh, a Fed pivot. Now, the Fed pivot used to meant like we're raising, now we're cutting. But some people have kind of broken that up into parts. It's 75, 75, 75. And does the first phase of that pivot mean now they're no longer raising in 75 basis point increments? Maybe they're raising in smaller increments, like a 50. So that would be phase one. Phase two is a hard pause, no more raising. And phase three of a Fed pivot, the final part to actually fully call it a pivot, is that they would actually start cutting rates. That will come later. I don't know when, but that will come particularly if we see jobs lost and we see actual pain and people losing their jobs. So that kind of pain and that kind of uh, deflation of growth, even a recession, if you will, which maybe we're in one, maybe we had one, maybe we haven't, maybe it's next year. We'll know a year after it actually happens. But when jobs start to be lost and people have real pain and start blowing through their savings, that's when the Fed will go, oh, we can't really keep raising rates and making everything more expensive and hurting demand because people are losing their jobs. Oh, on Friday, the Bureau of Labor Statistics comes out with the October jobs report. So we'll get the second half of September data together with the first half of October data. We will see the unemployment rate. Will it go up on the 3.7% that we're at? Were jobs gained? Were less jobs gained? We were going at 300,000 and 200,000, we're under 200,000, are we gonna be under 100,000? Um, where are the cracks? Is it in services, goods, construction, uh, you know, white collar jobs, blue collar jobs? That is another massive data point that's coming out on Friday, so we'll keep an eye on that. So let's talk about one more macro factor before we get the hell out of here and go to Halloween, which by the way, uh, just so happens that my dentist appointment is tomorrow afternoon so I'm going to gobble down my candy and floss and get my teeth cleaned. Love getting my teeth cleaned. All right. So I saw an article that said Zillow said homes still lingering on the market. So we know that, um, you know, it has taken a little bit longer for listings, which there are less of them, uh, to go under contract. Now, part of that is a seasonal trend. 
But what competes for those shelter dollars of home ownership? Rent. And our good friends at Zelman Research, you, if you don't subscribe to their research, you absolutely have to subscribe to their research. They put on some of the best stuff. They are showing that uh, rental units are growing, but the price of rentals and absorption and occupancy rates are coming down. So will we start now a couple months in a row now, are we starting to see rent rollover? If rent gets cheaper than owning housing with these high rates, you're going to see housing break a little more. Fear not. Happy Halloween. Cheers. You've been listening to KP Talks Dollars and Cents, a top-rated show for those who want to learn about the economy and mortgage environment. Tune in each week for more episodes, and please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Kevin Perenio does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through KP Talks Dollars and Cents. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. For more info, follow KP Talks Dollars and Cents on all of our social channels.